Welcome to a learntolearn.org podcast. We are here to support your learning, taking off the limits that we have accrued to our learning and adding in those ingredients that we've learned from world-class learners that have made them the best so that we can each update our own programming and become the best learners that we can be. We're really glad that you're here to share some time with us. We hope that this brings you exactly what you need today to better engage in your life and your learning. Do you want to be really good at learning? One of the most important things is that the learning is meaningful. If what you're learning about doesn't have significant meaning to you, your brain won't really encode the learning. It won't encode the memory. It won't recognize that input as significant to you. And we'll treat it that way. If we want it to really trigger the neurochemistry that's necessary for learning, what you're learning about has to be significant. We hear so often here at Learn to Learn that what somebody is learning in the classroom has no relevance to them. It doesn't have meaning in their life. They can't see how they're going to apply it. They don't see how it relates to their experience of the world. It just seems to be something that teachers arbitrarily think we have to learn. And then it doesn't stick. It's just a grind. It doesn't engage us in a way that fires off the circuits in our brain that are necessary for learning something new. If we don't have that, it's just at the very best going to stick just until we get to the test, and often not even that long. That's one of the reasons that so many people just cram the night before, because it will stay in the working memory just long enough to get us through the test. And then it's gone. How many times have you learned something that you were required to learn, but had no significance to you, and then a week later, a month later, you had no recall about it at all? It was just gone. What's the point of that kind of education? And what do we do about it? Because the educational system, as much as there have been people trying to change this, just grinds on. And it grinds on in the same way it has been for a long time. Are there ways that we can give meaning to that, even though the material on its face is not that interesting? Are there ways that we can overcome this hurdle and make learning school more interesting to us? Or if we're in the workplace, but we're doing a job that doesn't really have significance to us, it's just a job, we run into the same thing. Our creativity is low. Our engagement is low. We just wait for hump day, we wait for the end of the week, and then we turn around and do it again. And the meaning that it has is that it provides a check, and it gets us to a weekend where if we had anything left, maybe we could do something that has 
meaning to us, but so often we're exhausted by just having to push to get through things that aren't that important to us that we get to the weekend and it just sort of passes by. We're exhausted. And then we turn around and do it again and again and again. And that has tremendous implication for the workplace for us, but also for the people that we work for, for the businesses, the corporations, the institutions that are out there. If they're not engaging us in a way that actually really engages us, they're not going to get the productivity, the creativity, the vision, all that's necessary to really move that business forward. If the business doesn't have a vision that is significant to us, then it's just a grind as well. Let's take some time to look at this from the level of brain function. The estimates are that the brain processes trillions, with a T, trillions of bits of information every second. Tremendous amount of information coming through our eyes and then through all of our other senses and through all the input from our body and how it's being regulated. So there's a part of us that is tracking the information that comes from how our heart is doing and how much oxygen is in our blood and how much carbon dioxide is in our blood and how much blood pressure is being engaged, and on and on. So we have trillions of bits of information every second that the brain has the option to pay attention to. It's an amount of information that is potentially completely overwhelming. So how does the brain do it? Well, there are mechanisms in the brain that determine what of that information is important and what isn't. And the information that isn't important just gets dropped out. It's estimated that in the eyes themselves, in the retinas, that up to 80% of the data that's coming in gets filtered out. That's just at that level. And it goes on and on at every level of the brain. So what is important to us is essential. And some of that, of course, is determined at a very unconscious level. And some of that has to do with what is important to us, what has meaning to us in our day-to-day life. So if we're trying to learn something, or if we're trying to perform a task, or if we're trying to accomplish some task at work, the importance of the various incoming information is all important. So often when we're trying to learn something and we're not very engaged by it, it doesn't seem very important to us, our brain gets bored. It's filtered out everything that we're trying to get in, and then it looks around for distractions. Well, what else around here is significant, interesting, engaging? And off we go into that. A while later, we notice my eyes have just been moving over the material and I don't even know what it said or all the other variations and versions of that. Because for whatever reason, if that information isn't important, we don't take it in. It doesn't get coded in our brain, literally. The biochemistry of our brain doesn't get engaged in a way that processes 
that information and that puts it into working memory or, if it's significant enough, into long-term memory. So without the importance at that level, it all just passes us by. Let's look a little more deeply into this. So let's say we're sitting in a classroom and we're being fed data that our teacher, professor thinks that might be important for the subject. It's something that for them personally maybe interests them and they are putting it out in some fashion that gets the job done but doesn't really have meaning to you, doesn't engage you, doesn't interest you, but you know that somehow you have to remember some of this for an upcoming test, we will tend to keep that information more often in our working or more short-term memory. But if it doesn't have a deeper relevance to us, if we haven't engaged in learning about this, if it doesn't have a more broad meaning, if there aren't already structures in our brain where related things have been stored, it tends to get dumped after some time. Our working memory, we tend to think holds seven plus or minus two bits of information at any given time. And once that limit has been reached, if we try and put in something else, our tendency is to drop some of what we already have in there, unless we've already been interested in it, unless elsewhere in the brain there is already a repository of information, if you will, that is somehow connected to this, that somehow has had relevance to us in the past, and we can go, aha, this thing that I'm just hearing, this thing that I'm just learning, that connects to this other thing that I know and fills it out more, and I am interested in that. Then our brain will tend to select that out and code that into more long-term memory. Without that, there's a good chance that it won't do that. We've covered a lot of techniques in other podcasts about how to get that job done. We've talked about question to ask in the background of what is this like? That gets our brain to search for other data points, other understandings that we've had in the past that in some way are parallel, metaphorically similar, or in some way connected with this. And if we have that, our brain tends to find that new learning as meaningful and then sets it up to be coded into long-term understanding, long-term memory. If we think about times in the future where we might use this information and how we might use it, then the brain will do the same thing. It'll go, aha, this has relevance in this other area. And I can use that next week, next year. I can use that in my profession. In the studies that have been done in regards to this, one of the important factors in incorporating new learning is emotion. We have to have some positive feeling about this. We have to have some real response to what it is we're learning to change, to engage the neurochemistry in such a way 
that the brain codes this information. If we're walking down the street with a friend and they start going on about all the interesting cars that pass by and all the data about each of those cars and how many horsepower they have, how much torque they have, what the engine construction is like and all that, then we have no emotional response to that. It's just going to be data in and data out. But if for some reason that really interests us, that will engage the neurochemistry in the brain because of the emotion in a way that that information, that perspective will get uploaded into our system. If they're talking about baseball statistics and we're really into that, that's going to go right in. It's going to have prior relevance. It's going to hook up to that. We're going to be thinking about oh yeah, and in the upcoming season, that will mean this and this and this. And when this batter comes up, I know that they are batting a you know 345 or such. And that's going to stay with us. If we don't have that, it goes nowhere. It just goes in one ear and out the other, as we would say. So the importance of emotion and feeling around these things is quite important. And some of that has to do with how much our body gets engaged because so much of our feeling and emotion comes up out of our body. So if we're just sitting in a classroom being a still brain sitting there listening to a talking head and there's not much charge around that, not much emotion, the chance unless what they're talking about is highly relevant to us and exciting to us it's going to, again, just go in and go out. Emotion, from our point of view, is in a sense an evaluative response. If we are thinking about what we're going to have for dinner and we get a good feeling, we're evaluating our fantasy about dinner and saying, oh, that's going to be really good. That's going to taste good, or it's going to be really healthy for me, or it's going to be easily fixed, or whatever is important to us, our system is going to have an evaluative response and say, yes, that's important. That has a strong feeling to it. Or maybe not. Maybe the response is, I don't like that, or I don't have time for that, or whatever it is. And then we're going to have a different kind of emotion, a different evaluative response. You'll see as we go how this plays into strategies for increasing our learning, even in spite of how much teaching is done or how things are sometimes handled in corporations when we're sitting in a meeting or when we're working on a project for the corporation. So we're going to get to all of that. But it's important to have these kind of underlying understandings so that we can see why we're doing what we're doing. If we don't have context, even this information is going to be just in and out. We want to show you why these perspectives have significance for you, and then what to do with them. Let's think for a moment here about what happens when everything's working well in the brain. All of the areas that need to be 
activated, some of the prefrontal areas, the hippocampus, etc., are all being engaged in the right way, and you're getting meaningful information in from the world, information that has relevance to you. And then let's add stress to the equation. So immediately when we add stress to the equation, it does a couple things. One, suddenly the emotion, the positive emotion, the excitement about learning whatever it is that we're learning, gets overridden by the stress signal. Other parts of the brain are kicking in, going, oh my gosh, now this is happening. What do I do about that? I feel overwhelmed. Whatever it is, our whole underlying reaction changes and there is a different emotional signal coming in that overrides that more positive signal. And in that then, the positive feeling that is necessary to engage learning, to encode that information in long-term memory and such gets disrupted. Then we have a secondary factor, which is with stress, the body ups the level of cortisol that's being produced. And the cortisol causes the body to shift priorities. So before the blood flow that was supporting those higher brain functions related to learning, that blood flow shifts and suddenly the blood flow moves to the big muscles in the body because now we have to deal with lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and it shifts the blood flow in the brain to deeper, older structures in the brain that are much more engaged with survival and how to mobilize our system so that we can deal with threats. And of course, those old structures in the brain aren't set up to deal with the stress of taking a test, it treats it as though it's lions and tigers and bears. So if we're sitting in the classroom trying to learn something and we found a way to make that information important, meaningful to us, and then the stress of, oh my gosh, I have a test coming up and I have to make sure that I understand this and remember this and all of that, it engages this whole stress response and the learning gets overwhelmed by the worry, anxiety in the background, the shift in blood flow and such, and the learning gets diminished if it doesn't go right out the window altogether. Our clarity of thinking about what we're trying to learn goes down. Our response to it downshifts to a much lower function. You know, you think about having a conversation with somebody and they bring up something that triggers that stress response for you. And we find ourselves saying stupid things, doing stupid things, reacting in a way that we would never normally do. And we wonder, what just happened to me? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Now, how do I fix that? That's not because we're not a good person or that we don't have the brain capacity to deal with life in a good way, it is that that stress response got triggered in such a way that it changed the very areas of our brain that we're using and how we're using them and the kinds of things that that 
stress response fixated our attention on. It fixated it on the danger rather than the potential for thriving and and surviving and moving towards desirable outcomes. Now we're just in a defensive mode. Well, if that happens in the classroom or in a meeting at work or while working on a project, we feel for some reason overwhelmed, maybe defensive. It triggers this whole other way that the brain gets engaged. So we've done a whole podcast on how to deal with stress. We won't try and go into all that here, but we just want to mark out this is one of the factors that becomes really important in figuring out how to enhance our learning. We need to keep those stress levels at a minimum so that our brain can function at its optimum. This brings us to the role of dopamine in our system, in our brain. Dopamine creates a a sense of motivation, a sense of seeking pleasure, of moving us towards something that we want more of. Some people would express this in terms of dopamine is what gets us to seek out what will increase our ability to survive, to thrive. And in some cases, it can undermine us. The example of somebody that is driven towards a bad habit, overeating, gambling, that sort of thing, is often related to, amongst other things, a triggering of dopamine in our brain. The way to use dopamine in regards to motivation and meaning is through the anticipation of some reward. If we anticipate what the outcome of learning something is going to be, that heightens our drive towards that and puts our brain in a much better state to be able to be engaged and all the learning and remembering and such that comes with it that we've been talking about. One of the easy ways to do this is to think about what are the benefits going to be of learning whatever it is we're doing or engaging in whatever project it is that we're engaging in. Now, a lot of times the immediate reward is not obvious. We've talked about classroom situations where it's on the surface just boring. But if we can anticipate, if we can think about What long-term benefits are possible with this? How are we going to be able to apply this in the future? Or is there someone in the future that we can share this with that it'll be of benefit to them if we are at all engaged by helping others? Or we can even think about if I learn this, even though the topic itself doesn't seem relevant, Does it train my brain? Does it develop the neural circuits in my brain that I can use in some other area? Often we have to actively seek out, how is this going to be relevant to me? Is there a way that I can approach it, no matter how well or how badly it is being presented? Is there a way that I can actively imagine applying this somewhere in my life. If it is 
at the simplest, simply, if I get a good grade in this class, what else is it going to let me do? That's a level of meaning. Is it ideal? No, of course not. But it is sometimes motivation enough. It generates enough emotion that it will trigger the learning patterns in the brain and let us take in that information. If we can in any way relate it to something else that we're interested in. Again, what's this like? What am I actually interested in that this is in some way parallel to, or it informs that, or if I get good at this, I can apply it to that other area. Those will help to engage the motivation. I got a call today from a friend that said that she couldn't even get up off the couch and get anything done, that nothing seemed to move her, and yet she knew there were things that she wanted to get done, needed to get done, but couldn't act on any of them. So I asked, when you think about those things that need to be done, do any of them have meaning attached, or are they just things out there to be done? When she looked and thought about it, she said, no, there's not really meaning attached. It's just a list of stuff. So we asked her to think about what would it mean for her, what would it mean for others, if she was able to do those things. And we went through one by one, and each of them, there were a number of meanings that it would have. Sometimes it was simply that it would mean that she was successful at that, that her job was complete, and that in doing that, she had developed another level of capacity to do things that could be applied elsewhere in her life, in her future. But many of the things, there was actually real meaning, that it would make a difference to her, it would make a difference to the people that she worked with. It would make a difference to people that she didn't even know about but would be affected by it. With that, it was easy to get up and engage in a way that, again, had significance to her, that had a sense of purpose that made her feel like what she was doing in her life was purposeful and was worth engaging in. Often we have techniques for changing things in us that are holding us back. In this area, the technique is very simple. It's very straightforward, and that is notice what is the meaning assigned to whatever it is we're considering, and think about is that really truly the meaning? Is that something that's just left over from prior experiences when we were just reacting? Oftentimes, when we look at the state of the world, we make that so much bigger than us that we feel like what we can do today, our little tasks today, our learning today, isn't significant relative to the state of the world and how we represent that. Instead, if we look around in the world and we see individuals who have made a huge impact on the world, because they had a big sense of themselves and a big sense of their mission, of what they could do, that gave them then the leverage, the standing to act from. We can do the same. So often our 
sense of being overwhelmed becomes because, as we've mentioned before, we have come to represent ourselves in ourselves as small, as unimportant, as diminished or shamed or fearful or whatever. And instead of that, we want to just deliberately think from the point of view of what happens if I have the potential to be big? And what if I take those things that I'm projecting out into the world about the state of the world and the outcomes of the world, and I make those smaller for the moment, not in the sense of diminishing their importance, but in the sense of increasing my, your capacity to really make a difference. How does this then change your ability to make your actions meaningful and important? Try this out, and we think you'll find that this combination of things we have talked about today can make a really big difference in your life. Thank you for listening. Our purpose is supporting your capacity to learn and to attain all that you can imagine. We hope you use the perspectives and exercises that we have shared. Feel free to send us questions, ideas, experiences that might benefit our listeners via learntolearn.org, L-E-A-R-N-T-O-L-E-A-R-N.org. Finally, please help others by sharing our link with your friends, family, and other loved ones, since how you learn is how you live. Thank you.